Hello and welcome to Radio IAGP. My name is Implausibly Josh and thank you so much for listening. Before we get on into the main meat of our questions here, just wanted to recap some games I've been playing recently. The big one so far has been Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, I started a big Twitter thread on that just about my impressions. I've never actually played Final Fantasy VII before, so Final Fantasy VII Remake is my first intro to this, which has been really fun. I really like it. It's very cool. I'm really into the setting. There's a lot of interesting aesthetics to Midgar, and I really like it. I like that there's this combination of magic and sci-fi elements that I don't think you really get in a lot of other media, which I find very, very cool and very interesting. And I find that I love basically every character that's on screen. I may not like like them, but I definitely want to know more about them. And I want to know what's going on with their story, what's going on with their lives. And in the case of someone like Cloud, I want to know more about why he feels the way he feels and what's up with him. Literally the only thing I know about Final Fantasy VII is that Cloud is in it and I know what happens with Aerith. That's about it. And I'm about, I want to say maybe halfway through this game. I think I got to like chapter 10 recently. I'm in a sewer. I just fought a big monster, did all the awful wall market stuff, and I'm having a blast. I think it's a good game. I think it's really fun. I think that the combat is really cool. And I find that I'm really enjoying going back to playing it. That's not something that could be said for a lot of the games that I'm playing every day or not every day. But you know what I mean? Like sometimes you get a game, you get a new game and you're not necessarily into playing it every day or coming back to it. Like it might be one of those games that you get where maybe it's an open world game, like a Just Cause or something like you're not always coming back to it to advance the story all the way through. You're maybe coming back to it every week or so because you need something to play that is kind of mindless that maybe you can use to unwind from the week or whatever. And Final Fantasy isn't that for me. It's been really interesting. It's something I absolutely want to come back to. It's almost taking over Animal Crossing in my brain of the game that I want to come back to every single day. So you can definitely say that I'm enjoying that game for sure. Another game that I've been playing has been the demo for Total Extreme Wrestling 2020, a text-based wrestling sim from Grey Dog Software. And I gotta say, it's not great. It's a game made in Visual Basic, uh, which has incredible limitations. For instance, one of the biggest gripes I have with this game is that I can't even resize the window of the game itself. It's 2020. That should be like a given for any video game that you're selling and putting out there. But sadly, that's not the case. And there's some really interesting things to it. Um, it's it's a wrestling simulator and it's a text based wrestling simulator. So it's all about running a wrestling company at basically any size, be it your backyard wrestling promotion that can maybe fill a gymnasium all the way up to a WWE that's making its own movies and stuff like that. And it also has some really cool options for making an organic fictionalized world so you can have it just kind of go on and do its thing for however many years that you want. And it'll automatically generate wrestlers and companies and all this stuff, which is really cool. Stuff like that's really neat. They have made a whole new system on how workers are perceived. So like wrestlers are perceived as, let's say, the top stars at the company or you know, mid card, whatever. So instead of it being something that you 
just say, for instance, like I'm just going to say that X person is in the main event picture or they are a main event wrestler. Instead, you get this thing where it's all about perception. So if you have a wrestler that is doing really well and is really hitting it out of the park with the audience, then they're going to think of them as a main event star, regardless of what you, the person behind the keyboard, think of them, which I think is really cool. I think it's a really neat way to recontextualize that and make and gamify an audience response to whatever wrestling product you're putting out. The only thing is that from an organizational perspective, it doesn't make a ton of sense. So perception only works if the audience knows about the wrestler through the context of your wrestling promotion. So let's say you have a backyard wrestling promotion of some sort and you want to hire John Cena. Let's say you can go into the in-game editor and make this a possibility. So Let's just say that that's the thing you do. Well, even though you know that John Cena is someone who would be recognized and have this perception of them, your audience somehow doesn't because they don't have a concept of John Cena in your promotion. But that doesn't really make sense because everyone knows John Cena, right? So it's it's kind of weird in that like the game is obviously trying to be somewhat realistic and somewhat simulator-y, but I think that there are a lot of choices that make that simulation seem really goofy in a lot of ways. I think it's an okay game, but there's a handful of things that make it seem like it's a program stuck in the early 2000s, late 90s, as opposed to a really interesting, deep wrestling business simulator. You know, there are games like Football Manager. There are browser based wrestling simulators that you can that are like based around the same idea as opposed to a WWE 2K whatever, or you're playing as the wrestler. It's all about managing the event that you throw, be it a TV show, be it a monthly event or whatever. And I just find that all these, like, like I said, football manager, I feel like is maybe the closest bet, but there are other ones. There are other wrestling ones that exist in browser and stuff. And this game doesn't feel like that and not in a good way. It just feels very dated and feels like it's just stuck. And it's kind of, it's kind of a bummer, you know, like I dumped a lot of hours into the previous version, Total Extreme Wrestling 2016 or TEW 2016. And that one was like, very cool. It just introduced making organic companies so that you could set up a simulation of an organic mod is what they call them, where you set up maybe one wrestler that isn't you, one company that exists, and then you just simulate the game. And then year over year, month over month, you'll get new wrestling promotions that pop up. You'll get new workers that pop up. Relationships will organically come to fruition in this game. And so like things like that are really in depth and very cool that they exist in this effectively indie game. But then there are other things like you can't click and drag things on your match card. You have to click other buttons to move them up and down. That seems very unintuitive. If I understand correctly, because this is a game made in Visual Basic, the assets for menus and stuff are just, you know, JPEG or GIF files, like just images that have clickable elements on them, as opposed to like robust, responsive menuing. And then you combine that with the fact that this is text based and there's not a lot of like wrestling graphics. It's not like it's 
simulating the match. It's just simulating how the match did. You're not going from like hold to hold to strike to top rope to all this stuff. It's not doing that type of simulation. It's not like a basketball simulator or a football simulator where you have a court or a field or something that you can follow with individual players and their stats and it, you know, does dice rolls for each individual play. It's not like that because wrestling's not really like that. That's not really what wrestling's all about. So it's because of this dated quality of the game it really feels like a spreadsheet at times which is disappointing um when they were promoting this game on their you know forums or whatever one of the big selling points for the game was that this was going to be a complete overhaul previous versions had kind of built on top of each other um and this one wasn't this one was going to be rebuilt from the ground up so every mechanic was going to get looked at reworked if necessary itched if necessary, new mechanics added, stuff like that. But the fact that it still has these same limitations because they're using a, you know, 20 year old development environment, I guess, is what you would call visual basic. Whatever. You get the idea. It's a game being built with old tools and it feels it definitely feels like a game being built, being made, excuse me, with old tools. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I think it releases in two weeks from when I'm recording this, which is a little peek behind the curtain, 1.30 a.m. on May 1st. So, you know, it'll it'll come out when it comes out. and It'll be interesting to see what changes they make and what changes they can make to this game by release date. But I think that there are limitations hardwired to that game that make it feel like a game that dropped out of an alternate dimension where we never progressed past like Windows XP. You know, but anyways, that's enough game talk. Let's go ahead and go into the questions. If you have questions for me, for us, for Radio IAGP, please send them into Radio IAGP at gmail.com. Title your email, whatever you want. Do what you need, but I will see them and they might go into the show. Our first question comes from Brian, who says... I saw on Twitter that you're playing through Final Fantasy VII Remake, and I have to ask this question. Why did the developers make the game so horny? As fans, we were, we've always had a little horny about characters and situations, but this game just goes in on the horny to an awkward degree. This is more than just the camera lingering on female characters, but on female characters' butts on a motorcycle longer than it should, which the game definitely does. This is direct main story moments about a character's butt. These are conversations spending the night to pay you in full. The game goes to great lengths to create a very horny energy in an original world that's centered mostly on the player interfering, inferring the horny energy, excuse me. Is it just me? Or does the horny energy hit weird? I guess there ain't no getting off of this horny train we're on. Thanks. I'll take my answer on the air. Love what you do. Keep on keeping on. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, it's really horny. And then I, I don't think that it makes me uncomfortable. It just makes me kind of question why it's so horny. I feel like I was listening to something, maybe reading something on Twitter. I'm not sure, but someone mentioned that they thought the game was maybe supposed to get like an M rating instead of whatever rating it currently has, like a T, I think. There's a ton of swearing. Actually, let me double check what rating Final Fantasy VII has. T for teen, I was right. So someone was saying that it was maybe supposed to have an M rating at some point. And, you know, who knows if that's true. 
or if that's just rumor, or if that's just speculation. But I think that maybe that might be it a little bit. They were trying to go a little edgier and then for whatever reason, couldn't quite make up or couldn't quite convince people to let them have an M rated Final Fantasy. Who knows? But I do think it is really horny. Like, like I said, I just finished up the wall market situation and that was just weird. Characters are like weirdly mean to Cloud. The whole thing with the Dawn and girls having to audition for him. They like drug all the women that come in so they can't fight back. It's very strange. Like not only is it horny, but there's a lot of just weirdness to their horniness. Like it's mostly the women, but there is like one weird scene with Cloud where the massage parlor lady gives Cloud the hand massage, but the hand massage sequence makes it seem like she's giving him way more than a hand massage. And I feel like a lot of the uh, cuts to faces and stuff like that make it seem that way. Maybe I'm just reading into it, but I, yeah, I don't get it. I, the horny energy is weird and I don't know how to explain it. But Brian, I think you're right. I think you're onto something here. <laughs> Thanks for the question. Next up, Anonymous says, do you have a favorite Flash game? Was there a Flash game you put a lot of time into? Thanks for the question, Anonymous. Um, I don't think I have a favorite Flash game. I remember spending a lot of time playing Flash games, and I still will go back to like Congregate every once in a while or Armor Games. I liked a lot of the slow progression games like Learn to Fly. That was really fun. You're, if you've never played it before, you should look it up. But if I remember correctly, you're trying to get an animal. I want to say it's a penguin, maybe a hedgehog. And you're trying to get it to fly, trying to get it higher and higher. And you have get different cannons that, you know, will shoot it higher that have different, you know, mechanics to how they power up. Because it's got one of those like almost like a Mario Golf style power bar that's filling up and going back down and filling up and going back down. You have to hit it at just the right point to get the right amount of speed out of the cannon. You'll have rockets, you'll have gliders, you'll have all these things that basically serve to let you go higher until eventually you hit the end of the game. I remember putting a lot of hours just over and over into that. There's also this tower defense game. There are two tower defense games that I remember really liking. One was the Gymcraft series. I remember really liking Gymcraft and its big mechanic that I really enjoyed was that you would make gyms and you'd slot them into towers and the towers would then shoot like a tower defense game. But the cool thing about Gymcraft was that there were, I want to say, eight or nine different types of gyms that all had different powers. So one could be like a life stealing gym where when you hit a enemy, it gives you more currency that you can use to spend on more gems. Or there was one that I always liked, which basically would power up the gem more the more times it defeated enemies. So anytime I got the killing blow on an enemy, it would tick up a number associated with it, which would then tick up a lot of the attack power of that gem. And you could combine these gems together and fuse them in certain ways. And the higher you fuse them, the better they were. And then, and then you could also get bonuses depending on the combination of gems you put in. There was a bunch of cool stuff. I remember really liking that. And there was another game that I liked. I don't remember what the name of it was, but again, another tower defense game. And the thing about this tower defense game was that if you put together different combinations of towers next to each other and had them completely leveled up, they would feed into each other to then make 
bigger weapons. It's like you would have a zap cannon and like a regular like a like a zap cannon. It just shoots lightning. You combine that with a rocket and maybe it's a rocket that also shoots lightning on it or other combinations would make mines on the route that the enemies would take. So it was really interesting and it's something that I really enjoyed playing over and over again and trying to find new combinations or get to a point where I could try those combinations. It was it was really neat. I remember spending a lot of time with that and I I don't know if that game ever got a sequel or if the person who made it is still making those types of games anymore, but uh I remember really, really, really liking that. Thanks for the question, Anonymous. Up next, we got another question from Brian who asks, is there a genre of game you wish you could get into but just can't? I've been really enjoying watching an explosive gaming websites, semi, semi truck, semi truck, excuse me, driving streams. And having tried myself, I found I just couldn't get into it. I even tried mud runners after keeping it on my wish list for so long. But like a moth to the flame, I immediately lost interest and went elsewhere. What's a game you'd love to enjoy, but just can't? Yeah, I also enjoy the uh, giant bomb trucking stuff. I'm more into American Truck Simulator than Euro Truck Simulator, mostly because like I recognize the places more. I don't quite recognize everything with Euro Truck, but I see the appeal. I've also never played. I literally only watch Alex from Giant Bomb play those games and Vinny, I guess, too. And yeah, I don't I don't I have copy of American Truck Simulator somewhere that I really need to go install and play around with, but I just haven't gotten around to it. But a game type, a game or game series or type of game or genre that I haven't gotten into that I wanted to, I think it's the Souls games. You know, I see I see what attracts people to those games, but I just am uninterested in playing them. I'll play them for a little bit. I've played every single Souls game, every main Souls game, I guess I'll say. So Demon, Dark, two, Dark 1, 2, and 3, Bloodborne. I've played all those games. I would play them for like maybe two or three hours and then just immediately bounce off because... Something about the gameplay just doesn't appeal to me. I can tell that they're well made. I can tell why people like them. I totally understand the appeal of them. But even like watching people play is even boring to me. Like there was a period of time where Giant Bomb was playing a lot of Sekiro and Sekiro, however you pronounce that. Either way, they were playing a lot of that. And I just I just didn't like it. I just didn't like watching it. Um, Patrick Gill from Polygon will sometimes stream Bloodborne on his own. And while I like Pat as a streamer, I really just don't like watching Bloodborne either. Or even when Waypoint did their thing, I, I watched a little bit of that, but I was mostly carried through because I wanted to see Natalie like beat whatever boss she was on in, in Bloodborne. And it was nice to have like Abby there along with that Waypoint crew. And it's a nice little blending of sites that I enjoy the personalities of. But yeah, I think that's I think that's it. I think it's the Souls games. I see the appeal. I totally get it. They are 100% not for me. And I just don't like them. I And I always end up buying like them. I always end up like buying them and then immediately realizing, yeah, this isn't going to be the one that turns it around for me. Even when it's free, like I got, what is it? That game, The Surge, which people were talking about it. Like it's a sci-fi Souls game and the combat was okay, but I bounced off of that too. And that there was almost no, like outside of paying for PlayStation Plus, there wasn't any real monetary incentive for me to like stick it through or anything. And I still or like, oh, I don't know. Well, you know, it, it's a game offered me free. Might as well give it a shot. And even then I was like, eh. So I don't know. I it's just Souls games, man. Someday I'll get them, but probably not anytime soon. 
All right. And our final question comes from Claire, who says, I know based on your Twitter that you're into the Flash. Let's say that you're in charge of the Flash season seven. What would be your storyline for season seven? Thanks for the question, Claire. Maybe should have saved this one for the uh, going to do a round two of the don't send me any gaming questions episode. But so I may should have saved it for that one. But hey, why not? Might as well read the one now, you know. So I do like The Flash. I like The Flash a lot. I know it's not the best show on television. I know it's maybe not even the best CW DC show, but it's what I like. You know, I think Grant Gustin is really good. Barry, I'm a sucker for The Flash in general. What's her name? Candace Owens, I think, is like who in my brain, even when I like read comics now, she's who I think of as Iris West Allen, as opposed to whoever's in the comics. You know, that's just not who she looks like or how she acts to me. It's it's interesting how much a lot of the Flash TV show has shaped what I think about superheroes and what I think about these characters that I already liked beforehand. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm a big sucker for that show. Um, this current season has been OK, as is true with comic books. You have this big event, which in the case of the CW TV shows, it was Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it took over the first half of season six of The Flash, and it took over all of the most recent season of Arrow, which was then really weird when it, it makes sense, you know, that Batwoman's season one wouldn't necessarily be super involved with Crisis on Infinite Earths, because that would probably leave a bad taste in your mouth if you're like, oh, I want to watch some Batwoman stuff. Why are they only talking about Crisis? You know, it's makes sense. But at the same time, it's very goofy that this first season of Batwoman happened during this time frame, because you never would have known had you not been watching all the other stuff or seen any commercials. And on top of that, the show itself was a bit more grounded than maybe some of the other DCCW shows that were going on at the time. Um, but yeah, and then everything after Crisis, everything post-Crisis has felt a little meandering, I guess. Still like the show, but, you know, it, it feels like it maybe didn't know what to do with everything post-Crisis. But questions about what would my storyline be for season seven? And I think that I talked about this on Twitter, but to maybe expand on it a little bit more. I think that a big part of The Flash to me as someone who enjoys the character and the mythos, is the Speed Force. You know, I think that's a big thing. And the idea that Barry, it's a more recent idea about the Speed Force, but the idea that Barry is like the, the catalyst of the Speed Force, right? Like stepping or putting aside the idea that we never really saw. So the whole setup of the Flash is about the idea that the reverse Flash has come from the future to go back in time to harass Barry Allen and kill Barry Allen's mom, which is a very classic thing from the Flash comics. Well, reverse Flash, for whatever reason, then can't go forward to the future and like has run out of speed or whatever, which means that he needs to make the speed. He needs to make the Flash happen earlier than it normally would have. So this means that the reverse flash comes from a timeline on an Earth one of some sort where the flash had already existed. So then by coming back in time and 
doing the thing he wanted to do to Barry's mom, he ruined the timeline and effectively got rid of a flash. But in getting rid of that flash, he needed to make a new one in place of the flash that is now missing or the flash that is now never existed. So it's just very goofy. It's already a goofy setup to the show. It's very strange, but that's the kind of stuff I really like. And a lot of the weirdness with the idea that, you know, Barry is very, very connected to the speed force. And that in this version of Earth One or Earth Prime now or whatever, you know, Barry is the first speedster. He's the first person to have ever been gifted the power of speed from the speed force. And I think that we might see a little bit of that in season seven already. But I think if I was to deal with season seven, my thing would be when Barry makes his new speed force so that he can continue being the Flash. I think you make new speedsters with that, too. There is a volume of the Flash in the in the rebirth, the new current ongoing DC Comics universe where something happens and a bunch of new people get speed powers of some sort. And I'm pretty sure it's Barry that's the Flash in currently. I don't think it's. Yeah, no, it's Barry. I'm fairly certain. I don't think. Yeah, no, it's Barry. OK. So Barry is teaching all of these speedsters how to do cool speedster things. And I think that that is something we should see more of than the evil speedsters. I think it would be way more interesting to have to put forth the seeds that the Flash is more than just the person who wears the suit. It's also the idea that the Flash can be anybody who uses the powers that they're given, the wildly crazy powers they're given, but in in service of the greater good and to protect people. You know, like the Flash is a title that's been passed on from many different places. You know, we see that a little bit in the show with the idea that uh, Jay Garrick, Flash of Earth 2, was trying to train a protege of some sort, I think is mentioned offhand at some point. You know, and in the comics, there's several people who've taken the name the flash the mantle of the flash and have stood for what that lightning bolt represents and stuff like that and i think that i think that my season seven would be all about barry creating his his speed force which it seems like it's going to be the opposite of you know the reverse flash's speed force which is all about like hatred and like using other people's negative emotions against them i think that Barry will create the opposite of that is going to make some form of speed force based around like love, you know, especially with this whole end of the season being a lot of the idea that Iris West Allen is Barry's lightning rod and that, you know, he'll always love her and he will always search for her. And it's the positive memories associated with her are what help him focus and I think that that's going to be the thing with whatever Barry's speed force is. And I think that if you tie that into the idea that, yeah, Barry Allen's our flash right now, but there are flashes all over the place. Speedsters are everywhere. You know, we had a different Barry in crisis with the return of um, I can't remember the actor's name, but uh, the guy who played Barry's dad and also played the flash on the very short lived, you know, was it late 80s, early 90s? A Flash show. So, you know, there's there's more than just Barry Allen out there. We also have Kid Flash. We have Jesse Quick. 
who was on Earth 2 and now knows what happened. You know, there's so much out there and there's so many people who we can bring into the fold of the show. And it allows for if, let's say, you know, season seven is Grant Gustin's last season, then hey, maybe we can show a different flash in the suit, you know, or if he just doesn't want to be the main character anymore, he can be the recurring character and he's training new flashes in his place or whatever. Like there's I think that that's the route you go is instead of it being how love and friends and family can triumph. It's also about how you can make your friends and family strong and build a group of people who are powerful enough to protect the others that can't protect themselves. Like, I think that would be the, the spin I would give a season seven. And I think that'll do it. That's a longer episode than I was anticipating. But hey, what can you do? Uh, thank you so much for listening. As always, I appreciate it. And it's incredible that people even listen to this. So thanks again. We are on iTunes now. So if you look up Radio IAGP or Implausibly Average on iTunes, you can subscribe there. You can subscribe in your favorite podcatcher. Leave us a like, leave us a review, do whatever. If you want to send in your questions, you can do so at Radio IAGP at gmail.com. And that'll do it for me. Thanks again so much for listening. And I will see you all next time.